Tyler Cowan is the Holbert L. Harris Chair of Economics at George Mason University, as well as the Faculty Director of GMU's Mercatus Center. He's also the co-author of the popular economics blog, Marginal Revolution, and he is with us today to discuss his latest book, Big Business, A Love Letter to the American Anti-Hero. Tyler, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. Now, we'll say the way we usually do this podcast is, you know, we'll talk for a while. Then at the very end, I like uh, asking a few questions off Twitter, you know, bring the people into the conversation. Uh, but this time I'm going to start with a question uh, I got off Twitter uh, just a few minutes ago. I asked, I asked for some questions and someone said, uh, this book, Big Business, A Love Letter to the American Antihero, uh, is this satire? I think they, I think if you read the, and I, what I immediately thought of was the Michael Moore Movie, a love, uh, capitalism, a love story, which was not a love letter uh, to capitalism. And I think if you're someone who uh, you know they uh, read the New York Times or Washington Post, all you read about is American capitalism is broken. And when they list the culprits, frequently it is big business, oftentimes big tech, but more broadly big business. So uh, I'll, I'll ask the question. I, I was, I'll take that, give that question to you. Is this a satire? Parts of the media strongly dislike big business. There's a bias in favor of negative stories than positive, everything is fine today reporting. Uh, big business is one of the greatest and strongest of American institutions. We have the best managers, the most productive companies, the most successful innovators in the entire world. Business and big business give us jobs. So what I'm doing in this book is dispassionately looking at the facts and trying to provide balance to the onslaught of negative opinion about big business. But it's not a crazy idea that we've, you know, we had a major financial crisis. And I think that's where sort of a lot of this negativity, I mean, it's kind of always been there, but it's sort of, I think, increased since then. That's something that what we thought American capitalism was, uh, that's not what it really is. Uh, that it's actually this, again, it's this rigged game. I think Elizabeth Warren is one of the populations, politicians loves using that phrase. It's this rigged game. Uh, it only helps the few. It, it, you know, uh, while she almost drove us into a Great Depression 10 years ago, and now 10, year, 10 years later, we may have recovered, but now we have this new threat from, you know, big monopolistic uh, technology companies. So whatever you, however you want, you want to define American capitalism, it just doesn't seem to be working the way we would like it to. There's a problem with mobility and opportunity in this country. I think part of that problem is we don't have enough big business. Big business pays much higher wages, offers better benefits, often a superior working environment. I think we need to create more super firms of the kind Elizabeth Warren is criticizing. Small business will not drag us out of wage stagnation. So I think the best criticism of our business in this country is a lot of it is too bureaucratic and not dynamic enough, but our business needs to be more businessy. And that is not what the critics say. They want to hobble it and take it down and regulate or tax it out of existence. There does seem to certainly be a bias toward thinking about small companies as the real engines of the economy, uh, not just you know, entrepreneurs who start small companies with hopes of them becoming big companies, but even people who are just starting small businesses. That, that, that if you're going to write a, a tale of heroic capitalism, those would be the stars rather than um, the CEOs of, you know, Google or, uh, you know, any even sort of large or, or J.P. Morgan. We don't consider Jamie Dimon. Is he a, is he, is he, is he a hero of capitalism? No. Uh, he, you know, they're criticized as being, you know, crony capitalists. You know, they benefited from the bailouts. These big tech companies are all monopolies. So, so the sort of narrative that you hear has a completely different set of heroes and villains than what you're suggesting. 
There's plenty of competition in the markets for the big the products of the big tech companies. But look, small business is fine, but it doesn't need defending as much. So I view this as a contrarian book that ought not have to be contrarian. I wish I didn't have to write it. The American economy is not nearly as monopolistic as you hear. Businesses are not more fraudulent than people operating outside of a business context. And what I'm just doing is going through the data issue by issue and laying out how it actually is. And at the end of it all, I think American business looks pretty good, big business included. Right. All right. So uh, so do you, do you so describe capitalism as broken and needing to be fixed. Um, that it sounds like you don't believe that or you think that's a, 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 a terrible overstatement. Uh, is is the, are there problems that need to be fixed, and 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 does big business play any role in those problems? There are problems which need to be fixed. Broken is too vague a word, right? right? We still have one of the highest living standards. We're not doing nearly enough to boost opportunity. The question is, in that struggle, do you see business and big business as allies or villains? They're being portrayed as villains, even by President Trump as well, not just Bernie Sanders sure. and Elizabeth Warren. I'm arguing that they're allies. Most people like their jobs. Business is a vehicle for advancement. We do many things in this nation to hinder business. We would do better to have a freer operating business environment in most, not all sectors, maybe not sale of herbal supplements. Uh, but nonetheless, if we make business the enemy, our problems, whether it be wage stagnation or climate change, we are not going to solve them. So... Again, uh, many of the stories you know I read, and again, if you're a frequent reader of uh, the major media, you think that our big businesses are really very poorly managed. For instance, that they're, that all the uh, the CEOs are very short term oriented. Uh, they're not investing in sort of the big ideas of the future. They're not investing for the long term. Uh, they're being pushed by shareholders to focus purely on sort of quarterly uh, profits. There's a there's a phrase you know, kind of comes and goes quarterly capitalism. That in fact, rather than the case you're making and that these are big successful companies that do all these great things, that that our big companies are very poorly managed. And to the extent that they're doing well, it's purely because they they are increasingly dominant and monopolistic uh, rather than benefiting because they're creating lots of value. There's so many charges in that. I don't there know is. where to start. But let's take long-term investing. Sure. There's plenty of long-term investing in this country. Tesla has a high share price. At, high, at times, it's been higher than General Motors. The company is not making per-unit profits. There is the hope, which may or may not pan out, that Tesla will be a dominant automaker at a profit. That is long-term thinking. Amazon, for a long time, did not turn profits, plowed its funds back into further investment in the business. The share price of the company absolutely reflected this. There's plenty of venture capital where, say, maybe two out of 100 projects will pay off, but the two that pay off pay off big in the longer term. So when you look at the actual data, you will find American business is not too oriented toward the short term. If you have, say, on average, half the people thinking too long, half the people thinking too short, you'll find plenty of anecdotes that there's too much short-term thinking. But again, the numbers on this seem pretty clear. Markets do think long-term. Well, I mean, well, the numbers that some numbers that get pointed to is all these companies have all this cash. Maybe it's overseas, you know, maybe it's here. And instead, instead of investing in you know sort of revolutionary new technologies or expansion. They're just sending it back to shareholders. So they're just focused on the short-term gains of their shareholders as opposed to these longer-term gains that would, gains that would eventually you know, uh, increase productivity, increase wages. It's a very common argument. 
Shareholders take that money, they reinvest it in other sectors. Let's say you're Apple, you have all this cash. Do I want Apple to be, you know, growing my carrots and selling me shoes? Well, no, they're probably not good at that. So Apple does what it does very well. Extra cash, they may send some back to shareholders. It is then recycled into other parts of the economy. One of the greatest strengths of American capital markets is that ours, much more than, say, in Europe, are good at reallocating capital toward new and growing sectors. Should we have just Apple invest all of its money doing more Apple products? No, I have my iPhone, I have my iPad, I used to own two. I don't want to watch. Let's give someone else a chance. That's what share buybacks mean. If American businesses typified by big businesses doing such a good job... Then, then what about these problems where, you know, wages seem to have stagnated? Maybe now they're rising by a little bit after inflation, but they haven't gone up very much. Again, the aggregate productivity numbers are very weak. Doesn't that show that something is wrong in American capitalism? If big business is a big part of American capitalism, that it's just it's not working right. Well, something's definitely wrong. But keep in mind, wages are fine for most of big business, right? If you work for Google, even as a janitor, your wage will be much higher than if you worked as a janitor for some other country. The real increase in inequality has come from the gap between the very strong super firms and firms which are more mediocre performers. So I think the to the extent we can solve the problem... Again, having more highly successful businesses is part of the solution. A big part of the wage stagnation problem is education. Well-educated Americans are earning fantastic. That's not most people, right? We can recognize that. So what can we do so our families and institutions of education feed into better outcomes? There's great room for improvement, but that is mostly not the fault of big business. Big business would love to see education in this country work a lot better at the K-12 through level, but they don't control it. That's a government monopoly. <laughs> uh, is there a, but is there a rising level of concentration? And I suppose you can you know, try to define it a number of different ways, whether it's percent of sales going to the top biggest four firms. But is, has American business become more concentrated and, and sort of bigger? If you look at the things you actually buy, putting aside healthcare, I'll come back to that. But in almost every area, you have greater choice. You can buy from a greater number of companies. There's far, far greater product diversity. You can buy products from many more companies, right? There's a few areas which are problem areas, but most sectors of our economy... That way of defining it is not how people who are really concerned about this, that is not how they define it. They're not looking at sort of consumer choice. They're looking at, as I said, total revenues in a particular sector and do the top four firms, if they're taking, you know, uh, 30% of those revenues 10 years ago, maybe now they're taking 35. So it's it's more of a top-down Way, you look at it market at. by market, there's more competition. Are there more big national brands like Walmart, like Amazon? Absolutely. But those brands are lowering prices, not raising them. And in any particular market, like any particular air route, you will see at least as many companies flying that air route as before. So in actual individual sectors as faced by the consumer. Again, healthcare is an exception. Right. Some parts of the hospital sector are genuinely more concentrated. We should address that problem. Uh, but mostly there's greater choice, greater competition. I, mean, I, di- I didn't want this entire interview to be about big tech. It's hard for it not to be no, let's, they're, since they're, 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 uh, um, they're typified as the, as the best example of sort of where the American economy just has sort of just gone off the rails. So you have these, you know, few companies with certainly dominant market positions, uh, you know, you know, with 89 percent of the searches go to, you know, go to Google. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of big uh, social media companies, all of which seem to be owned by Facebook. There's Facebook, Facebook Instagram, uh, WhatsApp and all the other ones, but the exception of YouTube, all seem much smaller. Certainly there 
you would say there, there's some sort of monopoly. There, there's a case for, um, for, for some sort of action. These companies are clearly super dominant. If you look, say, at search, there are multiple search engines you can use. I list 10 of them in my book. One of them, DuckDuckGo, doesn't even collect information on you. Now, Google may be the best. People are choosing to use Google. But the so-called monopoly, it's a zero price up front. There's no restriction of output. They take money and invest it in giving us free Gmail. Right. Uh, Things like GPS, Google Maps, that you integrate those. YouTube is much, much better because Google took it over and cleaned it up and got rid of all the silly buffering. Uh, Driverless cars, Google slash Alphabet. Uh, that's an incredible company, and people are unhappy with it. What, what do they want? Uh, I think they would make the case that, fine, um, you know, uh, Google does a great job. But, if, you know, if I went to Silicon Valley and I said, give me – I think I have a Google competitor. I think I can do – I think I can do search better than them. Could I get that funded? Because there seems to be – because that's – the argument is that you couldn't get that funded because th- that company is going to be dominant for us. Far as I can see, in its core, th- the core thing it does, which is search, and you cannot compete it, compete against it. People used to think Yahoo Search was dominant, right? People used to think MySpace was dominant. But maybe something Facebook changed. would never challenge it. The internet will change. What are now strengths of Google over time will become weaknesses. But there's plenty of choice in search. When I'm in China and I can't access Google, I use Bing. It's fine. I guess I think Google's a little better, uh, but Google has to compete. And being Yahoo Search, many other options keep Google better. Google slash Alphabet as a company innovates more than just about anyone. You've written a lot about sort of stagnating productivity. Right. Um, And again, these big companies have gotten some of the blame saying that, uh, you know, Google and Facebook, if there's if there's a new company that's doing something super interesting, they'll, they'll buy them up and you'll never hear about that company again, that they've created sort of a kill zone for new companies. But they buy them up and, and they and turn the companies into products, right? They hire the talent. They have those resources do things. So it's not that they buy them up and flush them down the toilet. Uh, that turns into, you know, say WhatsApp, which is a fantastic service. It but stays it clean. If WhatsApp and Instagram... Were their own separate companies competing with Facebook rather than part of the Facebook sort of social media conglomerate empire? WhatsApp is a totally clean page, which is in essence cross-subsidized by ads on Facebook the page as opposed to Facebook the company. Uh, It's amazing. I use it all the time. It's incredible service. Uh, It's hard to see the counterfactual. But again, there's not a problem. There's certainly plenty of other messaging services. You can do Gmail chat, right? If you don't sure. like WhatsApp, I think WhatsApp is better. So I don't yeah, do but if Gmail there, if there chat. Had been, if there were, uh, you can do if there Slack. Were more big, successful, and maybe you're, maybe you'll argue that just the way network economics works, that you're not going to have lots of massive that there that there's a certain narrowing that will happen in the market. That maybe Facebook would have taken more interest in privacy if people had a lot of better lot better options. WhatsApp is totally private, right? So you have an option with Facebook. You can be more or less private. Uh, but there have been so many chat services that have tried to come on the market. Of course, many have failed. A bunch have hung around. In the chat space, you have incredible choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, that Facebook owns WhatsApp. I don't see that there's any harm to consumers there at all. Gonna, Probably some better. We're, we're just going to tick through the big tech companies, and I'm going to give you my As best. You I'm going to give you my best. <laughs> now, uh, Amazon, there, there's a sort of evolving sort of you know, legal theory about Amazon that would argue that you know Amazon is it's so big and it sort of controls so much, so much of... The, the pipes of certainly online market that perhaps they should be considered a, a public utility that they're um, that they're you know that they're that they're wreaking havoc on the rest of the retail sector C- certainly everything will be Amazon 
any concerns about Amazon as a big business? Books aside, there are hardly any individual market sectors where Amazon is above 10 or 15 percent, right? So they face competition in almost everything they do. Online as well as sort of the physical we're talking. But online also, right? Uh, Walmart is one of their biggest competitors. My goodness, who wants Walmart as a competitor? But Amazon faces that every day. They bring us lower or equal prices in almost everything. Product choice beyond our wildest dreams, say 15 years ago. They're arguably number one in cloud computing, which helps many small businesses get started. Amazon, like Facebook and Google, they are engines of anti-monopoly by providing services to small businesses. Don't forget that. And uh, my goodness, one or two day delivery consistently. It's a pretty amazing company. How do we know? I mean, what or what numbers would you look at? How do we know that uh, Google is uh, too big, um, that Facebook is too big or Amazon or Apple? Um, what what would you be looking at? Like, oh, okay, now, I th- you know, they were fine before. They were very innovative. Now I think there's a problem. How do we know? As long as, as long as you still can, you know, search for free, is there no problem? So as long as you still get your two-day shipping, there's no problem or Facebook's free. How do you, how would you know when, when it crosses over to, to being a problem that government should intervene? The traditional economic standard is to ask, is there an output restriction? We don't find it at all with those companies. I'm not saying the dialogue has to stop there, but just as a first cut prima facie question, uh, those companies have just flooded us with output of many different kinds. I think there is a very legitimate privacy concern about tech. I don't think it has to do with a particular company or a particular monopoly issue, but simply digital life is recorded in a way that real space life is not. Uh, I do think we should address this with the law in some manner. I don't think we've yet figured out how to do that properly. So that, I think, is the core of the legitimate concerns. But the companies themselves, they've been the best American companies. There's now a kind of commercial war overseas, China's big tech companies against America's. Who will get those markets? My goodness, I want to keep our big tech companies healthy to compete against China abroad and not have the attention of the CEOs distracted by antitrust suits or they're just doing regulation and public relations for the rest of their tenure. Um, as you point out, these companies are, you know, created a lot of value for shareholders. They've created a lot of jobs for workers, good paying jobs. They've created products that everybody really, really likes. I mean, there's been studies showing that you would have to pay people hundreds or thousands of dollars a year to give up Facebook or to not use Google search. So we, so we certainly uh, value them. But yet there's this movement, as you mentioned, on the left and the right, where these, where these companies are not being celebrated as sort of our, are the crown jewels of the American economy or our national champions in a war against China. But, the, but these are actually our problems. So where, where does this come from? Is it just because of the financial crisis and I don't a greater skepticism? Or? Keep in mind, newspapers hate Facebook. Facebook is a competitor for advertising dollars. And Facebook has been doing better than newspapers for the most part, right? So there's natural hostility in media towards some of the tech companies. I think also on the left wing, uh, you just have a sense, well, you know, the economy now is doing pretty good. You have to find something to beat on. I think there's people in denial that President Trump uh, was elected, and you need to look for a kind of scapegoat. Or you can't admit he might have actually won the election. So it's like Russian manipulation through social media. You blame all the companies. You then have people on the right wing. They see that those who work for the big tech companies often are predominantly left-wing individuals for the most part out there in California. And they're afraid these big companies are just going to censor the right wing out of existence. 
Uh, I don't think that's a very realistic fear, but it's another reason why some people on the right are anti-big tech. So multiple reasons, mostly not the financial crisis in my view. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you looked at why we don't see, again, you know, focusing a lot on tech here, but do you, do you have an idea why we don't see these sorts of big, successful tech companies in Europe? Labor law, the overall culture, uh, the stigma of failing once is higher in Europe. There's much less of a venture capital scene. And also, these are companies which scale. And if you're going to scale, you want to start in the biggest markets. And those are America and China. But of course, a lot of important tech companies are founded by people from Europe. Not a surprise, right? Talented people. You have an idea. You would probably rather bring it to America. Um, uh, another... Let's hope that stays the same, <laughs> right? That's in danger. One criticism, frequent criticism, and this isn't just tech, but this is more broadly, is just purely about the, how much the executives make versus the average employee. That Every year, I, th- I'm not, I forget who, who comes up with them. I think maybe it's a union, looks at the average, the ratio between you know, CEO pay 300, 400 times their average worker as a sign that something's wrong here. That you don't see that in other countries. And that shows that somehow the system is distorted, whether it's, uh, whether it's there's just too much compliance by, by boards or outside compensation experts, that that, that, that that is wrong and that is sort of, clear evidence that American capitalism is is distorted in favor of very few. We have larger markets by scale. So if you're a Steve Jobs or Bill Gates-like figure and you have a successful large company, you're selling to the whole world, you are going to make a lot. If you look at aggregate pay for American CEOs, it rises pretty much in lockstep with the stock market. These CEOs are paid with equity and options. To the extent their companies do well, they receive more money. That's how incentives should be structured. Uh, I think that, as a set of institutions, is working fairly well. It's harder to be a good CEO than it used to be. More skills are required. A simple supply and demand model. Uh, The demand is up. There's bottlenecks on the supply. You have to know the global economy. You have to deal with government more. You need to know social media. You need to do public relations. It's a very, very tough job. You give your life to it. Supply and demand is setting the pay where it goes up at roughly the rate of the stock market. To me, that's fine. Uh, it seems to me that the uh, um, criticism of big companies, particularly on the left, focuses on not just that, not just on issues of consumer choice or CEO pay, but that it's just there's, they're just too big and too powerful, and all that economic power distorts democracy. So even though, listen, they may give us fantastic services, and we may like, we might like overnight shipping and all that, uh, it's just bad for democracy. They have so much power and so much wealth uh, in these companies. Those are a lot of adjectives. But, you know, if we look at the evidence, most of the money the federal government spends is pretty popular with voters, whether we agree with it all or not. Uh, It's not just big business. If you look at our current president, he is doing many things which horrify a lot of big business, which tends to be cosmopolitan, not wanting trade wars, wanting more immigration, not less. Uh, Big business is not in charge. There are many particular regulations. There are some particular sectors, such as pharma, where big business has too much influence. Farm subsidies should be zeroed out. They're not because of big business. There are plenty of particular things on the list. But overall, as a complaint, I think this one is overrated. Big business is not running the show. If big business were running the show, President Trump never would have been elected. Um, And the areas of the economy where you think there's an argument here, 
uh, that there's too much concentration, uh, uh, too too little you know, too little competition. What, would, would it be would it be healthcare? Would it, what are there specific areas? Well, I'd start with government K through twelve schooling, of course, but that's hard to fix. I would grant. Uh, I think hospitals, in particular, when it comes to healthcare, uh, there's too much concentration. Antitrust authorities probably should have done more to limit hospital mergers. It, it increases prices. It's a real problem in the lives of actual people and for government budgets. It's not like, oh, I wish there were more suppliers in the toothpick market. Like this, We all recognize this is a real problem. And the fixed costs of running a hospital are high. You're in a rural area, even suburbs. You don't have enough suppliers. I don't think it's easy to fix. But I think there's plenty of evidence that in that sector, there's too much concentration. Do you think government policy is bias in favor of either big business or small business right now? It's a complex mix. So sometimes government likes big business because it's easier to deal with. So you're the military. You do a lot of your dealings with Lockheed and Boeing and let them deal with the subcontractors. That's easier. So that's probably not going to change radically. Maybe it shouldn't change. Uh, But in terms of the rhetoric and a lot of the subsidies, there's a glorification of small business, all sorts of loans going to small business through the SBA. But then you have the Export-Import Bank, which subsidizes some big businesses. So I'd say it's a complex model, not really well designed by anyone. I would basically zero out all corporate welfare. I just don't think it's as big a drag on our country as people sometimes claim it is. Right. And, you know, corporate taxes, about where they should be, do you think? I think they should be a little higher. They were way too high at 35%. It's now a little too low at 21%. If you think of the OECD average, is it 22, 23%? Since we're a bigger country, we could be a little higher than that. But they're not far from where they should be. And for decades, they were way above where they should be. Uh, I'm sure that some of the listeners uh, uh, definitely want want to ask this question about big tech, so I'll ask it. Are you concerned that these companies, which are so big and so powerful and have such a big role in the national conversation, are you concerned that they are biased or somehow suppressing uh, voices on the right? They use algorithms to decide what to take down. Mm -hmm. That's a highly imperfect process. They make a lot of mistakes. Some of those mistakes get scrutinized. I think you can point to a few cases where they've been unfair to people on the right. Uh, That worries me. But out of just the, the billions of units of information they handle. I think the number of those cases is very small. And overall, the right and some parts of the right, which I find highly objectionable, have been the big winners from social media. I mean, they were the ones locked out of the earlier world. So I don't think on net the right should complain, but are there particular cases? The president seems to have a very uh, advanced Facebook strategy in the past and also I think in his uh, re-election campaign. That's going to play a huge role media outlet whose pieces are circulated most on Facebook is Fox News. Just to, just to wrap up, where do you think this is going? Um, the, you have presidential candidates, and again, uh, Democrats, with all kinds of ideas about breaking up this company, antitrust. Do you think this is purely sort of a headline kinds of news, or do you think anything actually happens? Uh, you look at the big antitrust cases of the past. They took a, lo- they, they took a long time, uh, we, you know, it, sometimes with very uncertain endings. And right now you have people calling for breaking up lots of companies and perhaps in lots of sectors. So do you think at least the breakup argument really is going to go anywhere ultimately? I think we will see major antitrust cases against some of the big tech companies. I'm not sure those cases will prevail. As you say, they take a long time, uh, but they will distract management and really significantly limit the dynamism of those companies and discourage followers and hurt the American tech sector by quite a bit. My guest today has been Tyler Cowen. Tyler, thanks for coming on the podcast. My pleasure. 
Sit 